It was a Friday, May 4th, 2019. My friend Drew was working a night shift at a bar in Santa Monica. He was buzzed. It was late. He drove home anyway. It's um, two freeways. You basically take the, the 10 freeway from Santa Monica. You take it east, and then you hop north onto the 110. And um, I got off at my exit at Avenue 43, and the, the cops shone, uh, shone their light on me. He begins to pull over. There's no getting out of this now. He's going to get a DUI if he pulls over. But that's not what he did. I stupidly drove away and kind of sped through these small residential streets in my neighborhood. And after a chase of about 45 seconds to a minute, um, I ended up getting away from the police. Um, And I parked my car uh, in Highland Park. He waits a few hours, actually goes to a bar down the street from his house, has a beer. He thought he had gotten away with it. But because they had my license plate information, they were waiting for me back at my apartment Mm. and um, they arrested me at about 2.30 in the morning. I just didn't really care what happened anymore. Yeah. Um, It was not much more complicated than that. According to the police report, he was swerving on the 110 so noticeably that another car signaled to a police officer, told them to pull him over. Drew doesn't remember any of this. They arrested me and they took me down to a central booking jail in South Central uh, LA. And I stayed there for about three or four days. Then his mom bailed him out. And then my life has pretty much been a complete... um, Completely, like, at the mercy of this one incident since then. He had no idea what was coming. Neither did we. I'll explain that part. It started six years ago in Brooklyn, and it all came together this March. Today, on Telescope. Drew and I met while both working at a pizzeria in Brooklyn. We connected on a lot of things. Literature, music, basketball. My wife and I moved out to L.A. in 2016, and a few months later, Drew did too. He crashed on our couch. We played pickup basketball, talked about storytelling, movies, and podcasts. We were, by all accounts, close. But that's sort of where our similarities ended that summer. My wife and I had our son, Rilke. I started Neon Hum, and both of those things quickly consumed all of my time. Drew and I stayed in touch, but now mostly through texts and emails and DMs. Still, out of all the people in my life, I felt like Drew understood me, and that he must feel the same way. So it didn't surprise me when a month or two would pass without us getting a chance to catch up. When we talked, it felt like no time had passed at all. That was how our friendship was. And one day, back in May of 2019, he texted me, asked to meet, this place called The Bright Spot. It's Echo Park's original diner, is what they like to, uh, you know, tout it as. It's this classic old diner on Sunset in Echo Park. Plush, well-worn, maroon-colored seats, breakfast at all hours of the day. Hot, strong cups of black coffee served next to a plate of creamer packets. 
I told him it seemed like somewhere people would meet up with their sponsor. He said that made a lot of sense. It's across the street from a pretty big AA room in Echo Park on Alvarado. Um, And a lot of people will go there after the meetings on um, Monday or Thursday night and just get a cup of coffee and like shoot the shit with their sponsor or their friends or whatever. Right. But I was not Drew's sponsor. I didn't even know he was in AA. Yet there we were on our second cup at the bright spot. When I uh, told you what I was going through, it just immediately shifted into a uh, kind of a, a more intense, had the vibe of a post-AA pillow talk kind of thing, you know. Drew has an easy way about him, like one of the guys. I mean, he played on the lacrosse team in high school, but I'd always had this impression that he felt different than his peers, more artistically minded. His cousin works on a popular sitcom, so he came to L.A. to walk that narrow path to success. He wanted to be a TV writer. But across from me in the booth, he seemed withdrawn. Heavy with what I'd learned was his new reality. It was hard to process having made such a stupid and, um, like, consequential mistake. He'd gotten himself into a whole mess of trouble. I have never thought that I was the type of person to, like, run from the police, essentially. And yet, here I am, like, in my shitty Mazda, like, cruising through Highland Park, um, like, at one in the morning, you know? When I realized that he'd led the cops on a police chase, I was floored and a little panicked. I ran through the movie reel of the last few years of our friendship, I saw all the places where I disappeared out of the frame. Wife, kids, work. How did I miss this? Is one of my best friends really going to jail right now? He ordered a turkey club. I got a grilled cheese and tomato soup. He said he'd been running a lot lately, going to meetings. He'd finally, for the first time in his life, admitted to me that he had depression. And lately, it's really bad. The most desperate uh, like hopeless that I've ever felt. And I was, I would say that my, my ideas of, of suicide were like at the highest it's ever been probably. He was thinking about dying because it was hard to face that he had made a mistake. But now he was doing everything he could to change. And soon he'd have to tell a judge his story. He hoped the judge would see that he was staying sober and give him a lighter sentence. It would demonstrate to the court that this kid who made a stupid decision was actually all right. That he deserved to be running coffees for a writer's room, not staring at the ceiling of a cell block. It's been kind of a tough pill to swallow that I have to be in that position, to be open enough to be like, yeah, you know, I've I've dropped the ball here. Yeah. No one ever imagines the life that you set out for yourself includes jail time. I hopped in a cab and I went home to my wife and my son. Drew went to his apartment. I made a point of seeing him a couple times over the following months. He seemed hopeful, positive about the future. Soon this would all be in his rearview mirror. He'd be back on the next pilot script. I imagined him on the other side of this, buoyant and ironic again, texting me hilariously bad podcast parody concepts just to make me laugh. But still, I had this sinking feeling that this wasn't going to go away anytime soon for him. 
I was sentenced to 180 days of county jail time and then three years of formal probation in California, but in Los Angeles County, the de facto time that you end up doing is really, uh, according to my lawyer, about three to five days, mm. basically. On January 24th, I get a text message from Drew. He's going in for three to five days, he says. I tell him I want to visit. A week later, I text him. I never hear back. Meanwhile, by January 31st, news of the coronavirus was beginning to percolate in mainstream media. Washington state had seen its first case, and the World Health Organization had declared this a global health emergency. But we didn't have it in LA. It wasn't a pandemic or even an emergency. It was far off. For Drew, in the hours leading up to the beginning of his sentence, the realities of the next few days were also far off. He texted with his friends, joking about what was to come. It seemed impossible to him that the whole affair would be more than a few unfortunate days. Before he knew it, it'd be gone. That quickly fell away soon after Drew surrendered himself to the authorities. I think luckily for anyone going to jail, the uh, intake process is so terrible that um, pretty much anything that follows it is gonna be um, an easier ride for you. He's taken into custody at 4 p.m and doesn't get a bed for the first 24 hours of his sentence. He's just shuttled from cell to cell. I was in some facility nicknamed uh, Supermax. You learn that it is uh, it is segregated by the rules, so you kind of have to like keep to the whites and the Hispanic tables. Days one, two, three, four, five pass without him being released. On day eight, he finally had a chance to call his mom to figure out why he was still serving his sentence. And she had said that my lawyer said that I was going to be uh, released any day and that the worst case scenario was gonna be 10% of my sentence. I was kind of relieved, you know, I think it was also nice just to talk to someone. A couple of days later, he was moved to another facility with a larger population, nicknamed North. People divided themselves into racial groups there. A white guy explained the rules to Drew. Definitely had some like white supremacist vibes going on, some meth head vibes, and um, was really intense with me. By the second week of February, COVID-19 was becoming something more tangible. The first death had been reported outside of China, and we were starting to hear about cruise ships being quarantined, doctors sounding the alarm, it was real, but it wasn't yet at our doorstep, the way it is now. By now, Drew's been in jail for almost two weeks. We haven't heard anything from him. I tried to look him up in the county inmate database. I couldn't find him. Every few days I'd text, hey man, you out? Hey man, you okay? Hey man, I'm worried about you. I had no idea. Maybe he hadn't surrendered himself. Maybe something had happened to him. Meanwhile, the days continued to pass, and Drew's day or two in jail turned into three weeks. One or two times a day, someone would come up to me and ask me what my sentence was, and I would tell them, and they would look at me like I had, you know, three heads because they were like, you know, why are you still here, basically? You should have gone home already. 
not to totally Tarantino the story, but the day that I got released, the um, I was talking to this guy. We we're playing cards together, and he was like, uh, "What are you in here for?" And I explained to him what happened, and he was like, "Man, you got 180 days for that." I did the same thing. It was my third DUI. I refused a breath test, and I fled the scene of an accident, and they gave me 18 days in jail. Drew started to resign himself to his situation. Maybe he'd serve his whole sentence. He also had no idea what was happening outside in the world, to the world. The one newspaper we had was this local paper from the Valley that was just like riddled with like spelling errors and horrible writing and stuff like that. He avoided people now in the jail, kept to himself. He created a regimented structure to his days to help keep his mind off the fact that he was still doing time. I would shorten my day, you know, like I would divide the day in half. So I I only said that my days were only 12 hours long because I would sleep the rest of the time. And so I was like, if I can make it from 12 noon to 12 midnight every night, I'm I'm golden, you know? Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, nothing. No tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. (laughs) If these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. From week four to week five. There was no sign that Drew was going to get out. My text messages became even more frantic. That week, March 7th, I flew to New York for a conference. People were still flying. There were no shelter-in-place orders in the U.S. yet, but the virus was spreading. We rubbed elbows instead of shaking hands at the conference, which felt weird, but still more like a party trick than a serious precaution. I recently learned that someone I had lunch with at that conference and sat way closer than six feet away from for an hour started showing symptoms the next day, eventually testing positive. It was already there, all around us, but we scarcely had any idea. The same was true for Drew. Whether the virus was around him or not, he wasn't thinking about it. Jail had become his new normal, as much as it could be. I mean, there were definitely a lot of times when I was, like, amazed by the absurdity of the situation. I was reading the book Marley and Me, for example, because there was nothing else to read. (laughs) And in between pages, I would be watching, like, a Mark Wahlberg Transformers movie on FX and being like, this is absurd. Like, I would never be doing either one of these activities if I was anywhere else. At last, his number was called. As unceremoniously as he'd entered jail, Drew was released. He would later learn why he ended up serving so much of his sentence. A clerical error had been made on his paperwork when he had been admitted. It was a bureaucratic mistake straight out of a Kafka novel. But it also meant Drew had no idea L.A. was on lockdown. 
that soon he'd trade his cell for his living room couch. I got released Thursday morning at four. I walked to an IHOP. It was Thursday morning, March 12th. Drew had talked to his dad before he had been discharged. His dad was worried for him. He wanted him to be prepared for the state of things on the outside. We will be suspending all travel from Europe to the United States for the next 30 days. At least 45 states now and the District of Columbia reporting cases. We have therefore made the assessment that COVID-19 can be characterized as a pandemic. He's like, yeah, so the NBA season is suspended and Tom Hanks has it. And I was like, oh my God. That was the day that felt, to many of us, like the country was collapsing because of the virus. The world was changing right before our eyes. After breakfast that morning, Drew went back to his apartment. He hasn't really left since. Before I even went into jail, I had kind of like gotten into this isolated lifestyle um, as I was recovering from my arrest and, and quit drinking and stuff like that. I sort of thought of my studio apartment as like, kind of like a comfortable little jail cell in a way, you know? And yet the the ways that I'm spending my time are almost um, in lockstep with what I was doing in jail, you know? Doing a lot of body weight workout exercises to keep myself sane. And I'm like just watching a lot of dumb TV and reading and, and calling people just to stay in touch, you know? So in a weird way, Drew was prepared for the loneliness and disorientation that followed. He said while he was in jail, he'd fantasized about having this sort of clean break. They could look at and say, I'm starting over. I've been through hell, and I've paid my debt to society. But coronavirus, in an odd way, has blurred those lines. Nothing's expected of me in here, you know? I'm just, there's not no work to be done. I'm just kind of like, um, I can, I just am here to be like woefully entertained for <laughs> 12 hours a day. Woefully entertained. Certainly how these days in isolation feel sometimes. Like a jail sentence. And now that I'm on the outside, you know, and I'm kind of in the same boat, you know? Like, my life has been stripped down to just the very bare essentials of, like, keeping my head healthy and keeping my body healthy. And in a fucked up way, it's like everyone's now kind of experientially on my level in a way. Like, I feel like we're all kind of doing time. Drew says he's writing again, that he's trying to get back to chasing that dream of being a TV writer. Once, of course, the movie we've all been in right now comes to an end. Big thanks to Drew for opening up and sharing his story with us. I hope you stay positive, man. I can't wait for us to hang out again. You know you can call me anytime. Telescope is made possible by the irreplaceable team of producers, editors, and engineers that make up Neon Hum Media. I miss you guys so much. This episode was produced by Kate Mishkin and me. It was edited by Catherine St. Louis and Vikram Patel, my North and South. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. Thanks to Matt McGinley for our theme music and to Blue Dot Sessions for additional tracks you might hear on this episode. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Neon Hum Media. 
We want to stay connected to you during this unprecedented time in our history, so please don't be shy. Share your stories with us. Our DMs are open. Be sure, if you like this program, to rate and review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a story of life in isolation because of the coronavirus that you'd like to share, email us at pitches at neonhum.com. I'm Jonathan Hirsch. Happy Monday. We'll see you again in a couple of days. Thank you.